Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity for us to gather and worship in this place. Lord, thank you for First Baptist Waco, the joy that this church has been in my life. Lord, thank you for this church, as this church has a heart, not only for the city of Waco, Lord, but this church has a heart for you, seeing your word proclaimed throughout the ends of the earth. Lord, be with us this morning as we come to your word, as we come to grow and be shaped according to your will. Help us continue to hear from you. Lord, speak into our lives. Show us what you're doing in this world. Show us your love for this world. And show us where we, as a church, might find our place. Lord, thank you for your presence here in this time and in this moment. Amen. Be seated. I'm glad to get to join with you this morning. Grace and I had a fantastic time here in this church. This church was a critical part of our formation as a couple, and a big part of our, our, our pursuit of ministry has been with this church. So we're excited to come and share this word with you from Scripture today, looking at what it means for us to engage the ends of the earth as the church, as us. I'd like to begin by asking you what could be a simple question, but really it's kind of a complex question. Where are the ends of the earth to you? Have you ever thought about that before? Where are the ends of the earth to you? If you, you, just, you think, well, just wherever you know, Acts 1-8 is pointing to, well, you're, you're getting in the direction of where we're going. But, but what does that look like when you think of the ends of the earth in your head? Is it some distant forests, maybe deep in the Amazon? Is it some faraway country, maybe in Southeast Asia? Is it, like me, the first thing I thought of, which was the a critical moment in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie where you have a ship that approaches the end of the earth where it's just a waterfall that falls off into nothing. Or maybe you're more of a nonfiction person and you like Magellan a lot better. Either way, the ends of the earth, most often for us, are a, a depiction of a place that is distant and disconnected from our lives. Somewhat like the middle of nowhere, the ends of the earth something that's far away with someone else, some plates else, something that really we don't have a part of, we aren't connected to. What I hope to do this morning is to help us see where we meet the ends of the earth, where God invites us to what he is doing all across this world. So we're going to come to a familiar passage, a passage that has spoken deeply to my life, that has spoken deeply to the life of the church the history of the church, and that's Acts 1-8. So will you join with me in, in reading this passage today, turning, turning into scripture, your Bibles today. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we might be able to find exactly where Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are on the map, but these ends of the earth is a little bit bigger of a concept for us to try to understand. I wonder, that's one of the first thoughts that the disciples might have had was, what does this actually mean? As Jesus is telling us to reach out into the ends of the earth, what, what does this look like? And many have tried to figure out exactly what they might have been expecting. 
Maybe they were thought of somewhere that would have been critical in their world. Maybe they thought of going to Rome as the center of the world that kind of expanded out to the edges of the world. Maybe they thought of the farthest places they would have known in places like Spain or Ethiopia. And you would see in the book of Acts that they would encounter one from Ethiopia. You begin to see, see connection with the gospel with those from the furthest stretches of the world that they would have known. You see Paul's longing to go to Spain to expand the gospel to the very edges of what he would have seen as the world. But even this isn't the fullness of what Jesus would have meant because they would have had no concept of where Waco, Texas would have been on their map. It would have been twice as far away from even the combination of the two distances of Ethiopia and Spain. No, Jesus had something more for them to encounter as he called them to continue this pursuit of the ends of the earth. He would have possibly been thinking back to what the ends of the earth would have meant and as God revealed himself to be Lord of the earth as we look back to the Old Testament. We see this in the book of Job where there's a, a brief description of, of who God is in relationship to wisdom, actually. As Job is looking for wisdom, it is offered that God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. He views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the sun. There's a notion in which the ends of the earth showed the fullness of God's relationship with his creation. There's nothing that is hidden from God. There's no one outside of God's reach. This is continued to the book of Isaiah, where we have this even a newer theme incorporated, where it's not that God only sees the ends of the earth, but God brings his salvation to the ends of the earth. We hear in Isaiah 28, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is inviting the ends of the earth to him. Isaiah 49, 6. I will also make a light to, for the Gentiles that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. God is seeking to bring out his salvation into every corner of this world. We see the future fulfillment of this as we look to Revelation. We hear every tribe and every nation will come and gather before the throne. But Jesus is inviting us to find our place in this. As God looks at the fulfillment of the salvation, of salvation in this world, Jesus calls us to this same frame of vision. Jesus calls us to look out into our world and see this world as God's. To see this world as those to which God is seeking to, to reach every corner. A good, re good news that reaches out to the whole world, every person, every corner, every people, a light that fills the darkness of this world. Where we might see the ends of the earth I think Christ longs for us to see an arrow pointing for where we might engage. An arrow that shapes how we live, saying, what, saying, looking to those around us and saying, who needs to hear this gospel around me? Where has this yet to be proclaimed? Where has this salvation for all 
not reached in my community, with those in my immediate surroundings? Where has this, this gospel not reached in this world? Who does not know? Who has not heard? We know that there are millions upon millions of people who have never encountered the gospel of Christ. You go to the, the website for the Joshua Project, and they will give you a statistic of 3.11 billion people who are considered unreached, never having had the opportunity to encounter the gospel in their lives. You hear that there are over 1,600 languages that do not have scripture in their language. And again, we look to our community and see that there are those who still do not know, even here in Waco. And we had to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? Where are we going to participate? And we hear from Christ this morning that we are invited to God's work of bringing about his salvation in this world, that we are invited to be witnesses. We, the church, are invited to take up this task. We are not only invited, but that God has woven this task into our very identity. It's who we are as the church. As Jesus says, in Acts 1, this is what you will do. This is who you will be. You will be my witnesses throughout all the world, throughout every corner and with every person in which God's salvation is to be known. So we turn to Acts chapter 13 to hear how we, the church, might respond. We turn to Acts 13 in your scriptures today. Okay, so hopefully you didn't have to turn too many pages to get to Acts chapter 13. We did keep it in the same book for you this morning. Um, But if you would just look at the first couple verses of that chapter with me, we're going to read those first couple together. And so now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. For those of you that don't know, while Aaron and I were in seminary, and he served as the pastor of a little church out in Bosque County, a church that holds a very special place in our heart. But the Sunday school teacher that taught while we were out there always had a rhyme that he would bring up when we would talk about the church. Some of you might know it. It's here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Close the doors, hear them pray. Open the doors and they all walk away. But he was always quick to remind us after reciting this rhyme that although the rhyme was fun for a little kid, it, was, it missed something. As they looked at the church building, that was not truly the church. The church was not the building, no matter how beautiful or how special that building may be, but the church was the people that were sitting in the pews, in the chairs, that were praying and waiting for God's word. He always made sure that we remembered that. Because oftentimes, church, we forget. 
Who do you think of when you think of the church? What do you think of when you think of the church? Sometimes we mix those words up in what we're actually asking ourselves. And when we look here at Acts 13, we get a picture of the church. We have no idea of where they met, although scholars would love to give us some guesses that it was probably not what we're sitting in right now. But we get a picture of the church. We hear about Barnabas, we hear about Lucius, we hear about these people that are sitting there and praying and fasting. And what do you know, when they were fasting and praying, God spoke. Now we shouldn't be too surprised about this. If we are actually truly being the church, we should be expecting God to speak, not be surprised when it happens. And we do see that that's probably what happened because it looks like the church went right about going along the business of what God had for them to do. Verse two says that God told them to set apart Paul and Barnabas. Now we don't talk about setting things apart very often. It's just not terminology that we use a whole lot. But I will hazard a guess that if you are to set something apart, it had to be a part of something else in the first place. You don't set something off by its side if it wasn't a part of what it was being separated from. That just does, that's not what that means. So he says to set apart Paul and Barnabas. I think of our Sunday services. If you notice for Aaron and I this morning and for Matt every week, Matt doesn't come sit up here on the stage. Where does Matt sit? Matt sits right down here on this pew because Matt's a part of you. Matt is a part of the church. Every pastor, this is a very Baptist thing to do, guys. The pastor is the part of the church called to a different purpose but holding the same calling as each and every one of you. They don't want to differentiate in that type of a call. The pastor is a part of the church, not the Lord over it. Now I will admit, the idea of a church has gotten a little bit more confusing since the first century as we're sitting here. There would have probably been one church in Antioch, not one on every street corner as we often see today. So sometimes when we talk about the church, we talk about this church. Those of you that are sitting with us today, Sometimes we talk about all of us that are sitting here in Waco, Texas. Sometimes we talk about the church globally, the church that we join with in worshiping every week here and in places that we have never heard of before. I do think that we need to note in this passage, however, how much that average person in the pew had to do with Paul and Barnabas. They were set apart by the local church. Now, some of this was probably out of convenience, and like I said, there weren't any other churches sitting around to participate in this work. And unfortunately, there was no email that they could send a message over to Jerusalem and ask if this was okay. But it was still those who Paul and Barnabas saw at this point were getting their hands dirty with they were praying, they were fasting, they were taking the Lord's Supper. And it was those people that sit, sat next to them in the pews that set them apart 
and laid their hands on them and sent them out to wherever God had for them to go because I'm not sure they quite knew at that point. We have lost a little bit of this. We can celebrate the joy that we are such a large group of people who have chosen that God is to be Lord of our lives, that we have this problem. In some ways, it's a good problem to have. But in every blessing, we do have to take it with a grain of salt sometimes. As we look around, we see so many situations where we wish that we could be more unified in the church, and that's a discussion for another day. But it is something that sometimes we lose the messiness of what it means to go to the ends of the earth. I have to admit, um, growing up in the Baptist church, I learned a lot about missions. I was a GA at my church growing up. I'm sure some of you remember that. Some of you were RAs and GAs too. And that was a great program and I learned a lot. But I have to admit that I don't think I ever actually met a missionary until I went to college. And that may be true for you or it might not be. But there was something in all the wonderfulness that that allowed for us, there was something missing. I don't think I ever was able to pass over the divide between reality and a good story, even though the stories were wonderful. Now, as Aaron mentioned, God calls believers to go to the ends of the earth. We look at Acts 1-8 and we're, we're getting this image of Jesus standing there as he's about to go up into the clouds speaking to his disciples. And the disciples, I'm sure, were as confused as anybody. They'd been through a lot in those last couple months. And Jesus leaves them and he says, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I'm sure they were going, hold up. I don't even know where that is. And how are 12 of us gonna make it there? And I think that we still struggle with that same thing today. Air travel, the internet, has made a lot of these places feel a lot closer, but the fact of the matter is very few of us are still going to make it to the jungles of the Amazon or the islands of Papua New Guinea. And you know what? I think that's okay. As Robin so aptly explained here in the children's sermon about her idea of teamwork, the fact is that all of us can't go but we are still called to play our own role in the going. Paul has another image that he uses throughout his, um, his letters, particularly when talking to, to the church at Corinth, of the body of Christ. And we often recognize that as the church. If the whole body were an eye, what would we do? If the whole body went, who is there to send them? because that's what we see the church doing here. We don't see the whole church at Antioch going, even though we do believe that that call by Christ was directed towards that church. But we see the church at Antioch sending. I had another pastor who originally thought that he and his wife would be going. They had plans 
and really felt like they were being called to follow God overseas. But you know what, guys? It never happened. He's still here, but he is sending. And he said, if I was not called to go, then I am called to be the enabler for those who are called to go in whatever way that that may look like. We can't all go, but we can all send. And that's exactly what we see the church at Antioch doing. Paul and Barnabas are sent off. They go on what we call the first missionary journey. If you look at your text, you might even have a handy little subheading at the beginning of chapter 13. And in chapter 13 and chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas going on their missionary journey and how they told people in places they might have never heard of before about Jesus. I highly encourage you to read it, but unfortunately we can't do that right now. But if you will turn one more page to me, I want to jump to the end of chapter 14. And it says this, when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. When they arrived, they called the church together and related all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there with the disciples for some time. So, Paul and Barnabas didn't just go. They came back. Because this was the church that had sent them. This was the church where God had spoken. Because this church was doing the business of being church and listening for the call of God. And Paul and Barnabas recognized that as this church was doing church and listening for the call of God and following the call of God, they recognized that that church had as much to do with that first missionary journey as Paul and Barnabas did. They couldn't have done it without them. And ultimately, Paul and Barnabas were still a part of that church. Yet again, set apart for a different call, but still holding the same call. And they came back and they shared not only what God had done through them, but what God had done through the church at Antioch because the church at Antioch had chosen to follow the words of God that came to them. And Paul and Barnabas came back and took their place in the pew and came back to praying and worshiping and listening for the word of God, because they too were part of the church. They came back to get their hands dirty in the messiness. In fact, at the beginning of the next chapter, we see them sent out again by the church at Antioch to be the delegates to the messiness of the council at Jerusalem. This representative status, this delegation status, is actually a pretty good way to talk about them and all of it, and missionaries in general. Even though everyone sitting here cannot go, they can send. 
Paul and Barnabas were sent, but they couldn't have been sent without somebody to do the sending. Now, I do want to take a minute to, co to commend you, church, as Aaron said, because you have looked on how do you get your hands dirty in the messiness of church, in the messiness of going, and the messiness of sending. And I want to take this moment to commend you for that. Thank you for listening to the voice of God. But I want to continue to encourage you in that. That the call of God is not only a call to go. The call of God is to listen to the word of God and follow that word wherever it may take you to the pews and the laying on of hands, or to a place that you may never have heard of. But your job is to follow that call. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your call that you do take the time to speak to us, even though it gets messy sometimes, and even though we don't always listen as we should. Thank you for your grace that you still choose to work through us as we go to the ends of the earth in whatever capacity you are calling us to do so. We thank you for this time and the grace that you continue to show to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, God has spoken. He's spoken through the testimony of songwriters, of authors, uh, composers. He's spoken to us through the words of Scripture. He's spoken to us in the encouragement and admonition from Grace and Aaron. And if you've listened carefully, he's whispered in your ear. He's spoken in your heart. And when he speaks, it demands our response. For some, it will be a quiet affirmation of heart. Yes, I will follow. For others, it will be a, a public confession. I want to be a member of this church, which is a great church to be a member of. Or I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Those decisions we make publicly so that we have the support and the encouragement of a church family. Whatever God has spoken to you and whatever response is demanded, now is the time to make it. The song we sing says, you walk along our shoreline where land meets unknown sea. We hear your voice of power. Now come and follow me. Would you stand together? 